Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hit and run. Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. Now the 1-1 on the way. Smacked on the ground. Diving stop by Wisdom. Gets up a third and throws him out. What a play. Patrick Wisdom took a double away from Tim Anderson. Two and two. That ball's crushed again. Wisdom's gone deep again. His third in two days. Wisdom hits one in the air. Deep left field. Going back Jimenez. He turns around. It's gone. Patrick Wisdom with his second home run of the night. Cubs now up seven to nothing. And you give up three home runs and the grand slam. It's not going to be a good night. I'll learn from it and uh, get better. And every once in a while, you need a slap in the face to get yourself going. Hey Lance, what did you mean by slap in the face? I gave up seven runs. It's time for Hit and Run with your host, Matt Spiegel. Oh, my God. Lance Lynn, he should start almost every game because I love watching him pitch. It's fun, and he should definitely speak after every game. Good morning, everybody. I gave up seven runs. That's not good. No Lance Lynn later today. It'll be Kyle Hendricks and Dylan Cease in the finale for Cubs and White Sox. You'll hear it right here on 670 The Score. But until then, until that pregame comes your way at about 1235, You've got me, Matt Spiegel, on a Sunday morning here in August. Our final August Sunday, if I'm reading the calendar correctly. Yeah, let's see. September starts in the middle of this upcoming week, and it is baseball season. It is not what we expected to have. When you looked at the schedule early in the year and you're like, oh, Cubs Sox, late August. That should be fun. Oh, yeah, let's bring it. This is uh, not what we hope for in terms of both sides of town being playoff race relevant, but it is where we are. And the dominating question on the minds of Chicago baseball fans, really the number one question that, you know, lords its way over these games, over every game for the rest of the way, is are the White Sox good enough to win the whole thing? Are they? Are the White Sox good enough to win the whole thing? Do they pass the eye test? Do they pass the numbers test? By the way, what exactly is the numbers test? Because it's uh, long been a question exactly. What are the factors that really indicate potential postseason success the most? We'll talk about some of those. 
because there are ones that are kind of narratives that we believe, and there are ones that are statistically based that actually make sense. And then there is always is the Billy Bean quote from Moneyball, which looms over all these kind of conversations for me. He said, quote, my job is to get us to the playoffs. What happens after that is bleeping luck. That's what Billy Bean said in Moneyball. Is it really that simple? Is it really that true? You put together a team as best you can to be great in the regular season, and then what happens after that is bleeping luck? Is that true? Not, uh, not completely, I don't believe. That's just too simplistic. And it's too uh, throw your hands up in the air, kind of uh, allowing the fates to decide. It's just, it's just not, it's not true enough for me. We will talk about it. So much to discuss today. Cubs and White Sox, the series and what happened last night at top of mind, but a lot of other things as well. Did you get a glimpse of the Pittsburgh Pirates in their Homestead Grays uniforms on Friday? It was awesome. Those kind of stunts are instigated um, to instigate conversation. They're, they're carried on to, to create conversation and attention. Events like that. And we're going to do our part because it got us thinking, got me thinking, shined a light, a much-deserved light on the Negro Leagues. And we've been wanting to talk to Bob Kendrick for a long time. The president of the Negro Leagues Museum will join Hit and Run at 940. In the second hour of the show, Doug Glanville will talk with us about the eye test in baseball and what may or may not be precursors to playoff success. He'll also talk to us about what it's like to be traded. He wrote a great piece just after the deadline that I've been dying to discuss with him. That's really fun. And he will also talk with us about mental health because his uh, new episode of Classes in Session tonight at 5 on Marquee is something I want to talk with you about. Um, later on at 11 o'clock, Paul Sullivan, the... Uh, you know, the, the, the reigning old baseball sage in this town, heir to the uh, Jerome Holtzman throne, a guy I felt like I wanted to talk to about the history of fandom dominance in this two-team town. Paul Sullivan of the Tribune will join us because I know that fans are flipping right now. I've seen it. I want to talk with you about it a little bit later on in the show because... I know of parents with kids who have turned their back on one side and embraced the other. I know of adults who've done the same thing. I see attendance numbers. I see ratings numbers. And it's interesting. Has it always been a town that flips back and forth? Or has it really been as Cubs dominant as it feels like at times over recent decades? We'll talk about that with Sully. And then uh, John Greenberg, the founding editor of The Athletic, who's been writing a weekly baseball column over there, covered the game on Friday night, the crazy 30-run game that we will discuss. He will join us at 12 as we are uh, jam-packed over the next three hours and 35 minutes or so. And along the way, all show long, we take your calls and your texts at 312-644-6767, the text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time, shop online at rosenhyundai.com. And you can also call the number right there as we talk about all things Cubs, White Sox, 
and more in baseball. Sean Anderson is our producer and glad to be back with him after a week away on the East Coast. Some of that time spent with my pops, um, Herb Spiegel, who you've heard on this show before. Uh, and we certainly talked some baseball, as we always do. Went to a flea market in his little town of Lambertville, New Jersey, and I found these awesome cards, these like magic vision little mini baseball cards with trivia on the back. They're so cool. They've got, God, what are those things? It's not a, um, it's not a hologram, but it's like, it's older school than that. It's the kind of thing where you, oh, you turn it one way and it looks like it's got an MLB logo and then you turn it the other way and you see players in action and it was like state of the art for cool baseball card technology in like 1987, like top of the line stuff, maybe 92. It's possible that it stretched all the way to 92. I've got those in the other room. Maybe I'll grab them later on. But it's good to be back, and the timing is nice in the middle of a Cubs and White Sox weekend. So, I mean, let's ask you flat out, because there was stuff to talk about specifically from last night. There was a really good, interesting, noteworthy moment, I thought, in the ninth inning. There was also uh, Alec Mills trying to get a complete game last night. That's so tough to do. It just doesn't happen like it used to. I mean... As recently as, as well, I'll, I'll, I'll grab it, the, the leaders in complete games, season by season. Because do you know how many complete games is enough to lead a league this year? In 2019, Sean, top of your head, 2019, Lucas Giolito and Shane Bieber led the major leagues in complete games. Do you know how many they had? Uh, I know in 2019, Lucas had one against the Twins, so I'll say two altogether. Three. Three for Bieber and Giolito. That was enough to lead the league in the last complete season we played in 2019. In 2018, before that, the, the leader was two. Two. But as recently as 1975, Catfish Hunter had 30 of them. 30! Ron Guidry had 21 of them in 83. 83. Bert Blylevin had 24 of them in 85. That's the last time. Actually, Fernando Valenzuela in 86 had 20. Boy, Fernando's arm did not last very long. It's funny to look up there and see Rick Lankford in 1980 with 28. 1981 with 18. He part of those Oakland A's staffs managed by Billy Martin that completely fell apart after throwing all the complete games. It just doesn't happen anymore. So there was Alec Mills out there trying to get that done last night. Good for him. I think Alec Mills is going to be on the Cubs next year. I think Alec Mills will be a fifth starter on this Cubs team, no matter how much they go out and they spend, frankly. I think it makes sense to have a guy like Alec Mills at the back of the rotation. That's fine. He's fine. But that's really not the most important thing, nor is that thing that happened in the ninth inning that I want to talk about at some point later on. The big question right now is, do the White Sox pass the eye test? That's the backdrop for the rest of the season. Feel free to hop in on it right now at 312-644-6767. Defensively, as you watch this game, they do not. As they gave up six runs the other night in the first inning, and... Cesar Hernandez, who is a defensive upgrade at second base, still with some rough plays. 
one flat-out error, another borderline, was not called an error, misplay on a slow ground ball that he tried to do the little glove flip for. So as you're watching defensively, I think your eye test knows that they do not measure up. And the numbers back that up. Looking at team runs saved defensively. That's the best run, best defensive stat that we have going right now. There's UZR, there's UZR 150, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. There's obviously errors in fielding percentage. But the Fielding Bible's version of defensive runs saved, DRS, to me that's the best. If you like a different one, text in at 312-644-6767. Let me know, and I'll look at it. Right now, out of 30 teams in baseball, the White Sox are 26th out of 30 in defensive runs saved. 26th out of 30. The Astros are number one, by the way, the best defense in baseball, according to that particular metric. The Rays, the Brewers, the Giants, the Dodgers, all in the top ten. The worst spots for the White Sox in defensive runs saved are catcher and second base. Sox catchers, and Yasmani Grandal is now back. Uh, Zach Collins has been optioned. There's only one option remaining on Zach Collins. That says a lot about how the White Sox feel about him. It's an interesting thing. But anyway, the White Sox catchers are a minus 17 in defensive run saves. And trust me, folks, that's bad. The only worst position on any team, because the Fielding Bible breaks it down by position for the whole team, which is good, the Angels at shortstop with minus 19. That's the only position on any team with a worse defensive run saved than the White Sox catchers. The Pirates' right fielders were minus 16, by the way, and they just designated Gregory Polanco for assignment the other day. So the White Sox are brutal defensively by the numbers and visually, and that is a concern. Best positions defensively for the White Sox, a plus four at shortstop, where Tim Anderson is no longer a liability. That changed a while back, but it has stayed changed. And center field where even without Luis Robert and now with him there, they're a plus four there. Those are their two best spots. But man, catcher and second base defensively. And then bullpen-wise for the White Sox, do they pass the eye test? No. Do they pass the stats test? No, not right now. Team ERA as a bullpen, 15th of 30. Middle of the pack as a bullpen at this point in the baseball season. In the last 30 days, they're 18th in ERA. Been a little worse. In the last two weeks, they're 24th in team ERA in the last two weeks. So a little, a little recency bias there on the eye test because everybody's gotten beaten up. You've seen Hendricks beaten up and then seemingly fixed with the tipping stuff we talked about a couple weeks ago. You've seen Kimbrell broken. And yet still broken, giving up runs the other night. Boy, we've talked a lot about Kimbrell, too, the mentality of the eighth inning. And uh, what may or may not be a factor for him. Saw Kopech give up some runs this week. But the bullpen could still work itself out. Why? Because the swing and miss bats are there. Strikeouts per nine as a bullpen for the White Sox. They're second in Major League Baseball. They have swing and miss stuff aplenty in that bullpen 
as you know. Strikeout to walk ratio, which is a great indicator for a bullpen. Does your bullpen put people on unnecessarily? Does it strike them out? The top four teams in strikeout to walk ratio in all of baseball, the Tampa Rays, the San Francisco Giants, the White Sox, and the Yankees. That's four of the best five teams in baseball, perhaps, by the power rankings. Yankees absolutely on fire of late. It's an amazing number for the Yankees, considering how bad and how absent Aroldis Chapman has been. But anyway, the bullpen, it does not pass the eye test. It doesn't pass the stat test, but I just gave you the swing and miss numbers. So that could still work itself out. It absolutely could. And then offensively, do they pass the eye test and the stat test offensively? That's a yes for me. Seventh best also in OPS on the whole season. That's on base plus slugging. Seventh best out of 30 in baseball. Sixth best in runs scored. Um, Only 17th in home runs, but hey, guess what? Now they're at full strength. And so I looked at this. The last 30 days, they're second in Major League Baseball with 46 home runs. Second. That's a real good sign. So with Eloy back, with Robert back, and now with Yasmani Grandal back, who was obviously explosive on Friday night with the two homers and the eight RBIs, the White Sox offense just about full strength. Adam Engel, the only thing keeping them from being in full strength. They are going to hit enough home runs. So, it's up to you guys to decide what you're seeing, what you're reading, what you're counting, and figure it out. We know what their record has been against teams that are 500 or better. We know what they did in their recent 14-game stretch against four such teams than when they went 7-7. and I worry about them. Because of defense and because of the bullpen. I'm not predicting doom by any stretch, but man, I worry. And I know folks out there feel strongly about it. So dial it up and get involved at 312 644 6767. That's the phone number. That is also the text number that you can text in and reach me at as I end the sentence awkwardly with a preposition. Texters getting in at the aforementioned number, 312-644-6767. And uh, we will read those, we will share those, and we... Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We'll continue to chat with you and chat at you. I got a lot to talk about today. Bob Kendrick at 940, Doug Glanville at 1020, Paul Sullivan at 11, John Greenberg at noon, me till 12.35. Your calls and text next on Hit and Run on 6.70 to score. The only way he could do it is hit it out of the park and miss the plate. 
That'd be an interesting strategy. Yeah, it's a good strategy. He does have seven triples for his career. High in the air, deep right field. I believe he's going to touch the plate, Steve. Well, if he misses the plate, he hits for the cycle. That is an eight RBI night on his return from rehab. Unbelievable. Manny Grandal back with a vengeance on Friday night and in the lineup last night at DH. Sox fell behind 6-0 on Friday night, and Dallas Keuchel didn't last through the second inning. Dallas Keuchel has no business being on the playoff roster, certainly as it stands right now. I don't know if, you know, five great starts between now and the end of the season even changes that for me. Because remember what Dallas Keuchel did last year in, uh, or excuse me, two years ago in the playoffs for Atlanta when they were like, oh, we need him for playoff experience. No, I, Dallas, Dallas Keuchel should not be on the playoff roster. It, are, is these, are those uh, correct buzzer sounds, Sean? <laughs> I'm out Nowhere of them, so don't be, stop being right. I'm out of them. Uh, okay, cool. Well, yeah, no guarantee I can, I can stop being right. By the way, I just tweeted... A picture of the uh, some of the cards or one of the cards that I got and textures were correct. Sport flicks is what they were called. A box from 1987. Sport flicks, magic mirror baseball cards. Apparently, it's something called lenticular printing. And I, folks, pulled a Kenny Williams right away. That was my first card I just pulled out of the deck. And there's not one, but two, in fact, three images of Kenny Williams on this card. Before he swings, after he swings, and if you tilt it up, a full-on headshot of Kenny Williams. Love me some Sport Flicks Magic Mirror cards. So Yasmani Grandal is back. Here are the White Sox. Do they pass the eye test? Do they pass the numbers test? Just he better stay out of our business. He better stay out of White Sox business. No chance, Kenny. I am knee-deep inside it. Matt Spiegel with you here on Hit and Run. Tony's in Rogers Park and is first up on Hit and Run this morning. Hey, Tony, how are you? Yeah, be advised. I'm a you know, typical fatalistic 50-year White Sox fan, so I always see the negative. Anyway, mm-hmm. from, from day one, I looked at this defense and said, it's going to bite us at the worst time, and it hasn't gotten any better. Their outfield to infield relays are like your pony league atrocious. And it, it just doesn't get any better. And this offense's propensity to just go totally to sleep, not score a run. I think it's going to bite us at the, at the worst time. He, this is what I see. And you heard it here first. We will be a first round out. You watch. Thank you, Tony, for the call. I, you know, sadly, I've not heard it there first. I've heard that from a lot of people over the past, uh, you know, month, two months, as playoff um, position is not really the question anymore. It's playoff success, playoff advancement that is the question. I don't agree about the offense. You know, they went a long stretch scoring lots of runs without the home run. That is good to be able to do. 
you don't have to do it necessarily in the playoffs if you hit a lot of home runs because that will still you know be a, a massive deciding factor and now they're back to just about full strength and as i mentioned in the top of the show they've hit 46 homers over the last 30 days that's second best in baseball they do hit a lot of home runs the offense is not a concern for me the defense is a concern and you never know which specific moments are going to bite you in the butt when it comes to that and the bullpen finding a way to right itself is a big big deal to me this is Bob in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Bob, good morning. How are you? Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Big time White Sox fan, biggest one in Wisconsin. But, you know, uh, Tony LaRusso, uh, sure, he's got a good track record. But, uh, you know, with, with his moves in the bullpen, uh, there's a lot of bad moves. And, and here's my point you got some good starters. If the guy's going good, let him go eight innings. But Tony LaRusso, all of a sudden says, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's a new rule uh, right now. Six innings and you're out. Then I'm going to put my guy in the seventh inning, only one inning, then another change in the eighth inning, and then my closer. And all of a sudden they lose the games. So to be truthful with you, the biggest issue right now is the bullpen. And even though Tony's got a good tracker, he's made some bad, bad moves. You tell me. Now, all of a sudden, there's a two-strike count on a guy, and he hits a, a grand slammer. You're telling me that your bullpen guy can't uh, make some bad pitches for him to chase, and he throws one right down the middle? There are some issues here. Th- thank you for the call. Uh, which grand slam is he talking about? I thought he was talking about Ortega, but then he segued to talking about the bullpen with a grand slam. Not sure which one he was talking about. Grand slammer. Grand Slammer. Grand Salami time. Also, the White Sox starting pitching has pitched the third most innings in baseball. Yeah. You know, well, here's the thing. Tony La Russa, as most managers will be, will be heavily, heavily criticized for bullpen management if the guys don't do the job. Will be massively, massively criticized. And the irony of this, of course, is that Tony is reaping the... uh, he's reaping some of the damage of what he himself sowed in the late 80s and early 90s when he created the specialization of the bullpen and, and, and killed the complete game, <laughs> did his part in killing the complete game. You know, it's, and then as time has gone on and starters have gone less and less and teams have made it to the World Series or won the World Series – with remarkable bullpens that locked down the final three innings in Kansas City, sometimes the final four innings in Tampa Bay, or the final six innings in Tampa, or what have you, then Tony's going to just deal with the anger and disgust of fans all over the place, and I understand. The only thing I really want to see, and Sean gave you the number where the starters have actually thrown uh, a lot of innings, I want to see him push the guys who can be pushed. And I want to see him push Lance Lynn. Not last night, obviously, although you could argue that five innings is actually pushing it for Lance Lynn, who was brutal last night by his own admission. But I I do want to see Tony push it when certain guys who can be pushed uh, are there to be pushed. But you're not going to see that right now. You're not going to see that right now. You're not going to see that in this last month, these last five weeks, because... This is a time 
to stay healthy, to maximize rest. Hell, Grandal wasn't even going to be in the lineup last night, but eight RBIs will force your way into the lineup at DH the very next night. But Grandal was supposed to play and then rest, play, and then rest. So we'll see how that goes. Let's go back to the phone lines, talk to David in Wisconsin. David wants to hop on hit and run. Good morning, David. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. So glad to get through. How are you guys today? We are wonderful. Thank you. Outstanding. So a couple of things from a 60-something who's watched these guys a long time. I think Kopech in his first year is going through a bad stretch. And every quote-unquote rookie going through their first year has to come out the other side of that. I think he's going to be fine. But I think he's getting – I don't mind the solo homers. He challenges hitters. I got no problem with that. But getting knocked around shows that he's just in a bad stretch. So I, I'm I'm not freaking out over Kopech. Kimbrell is a whole nother story um, because he's just been terrible since he came over from the north side. I mean, mm-hmm. just getting knocked around, not just homers. Uh, and so I don't know what the answer is there for that. But I think the eye test versus the statistics test is what's going to rule the day for Tony Larusa. He's a stats guy. He's a you know he's a sabermetrics guy, but when a push comes to shove, he manages like it's 1999, and and uh, will continue to do so. I, I think we're fine. There's no panic. Um, it's a good team. Thanks so much for the call, Dave. Appreciate you. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um... See exactly what kind of choices Tony will make in the postseason. And if some of those choices will feel locked two decades ago. Is that going to be okay? Is that going to be a problem? Baseball is still baseball, especially in the microcosm of, uh, of, of one game. You know, some of the ways that the game has changed and evolved over the course of a full season are going to be different than the way that the game is played when it comes time to the playoffs. That's the thing. Like, no other sport has the massive difference between regular season and postseason in terms of how it can be managed, how it feels pressure-wise, how it is dealt with. It's a big difference. What else is different? I mean, the NBA raises up in intensity dramatically. Minutes change in the NBA playoffs from the way that they are doled out in the regular season. But, man, baseball with just, you know, the things that matter in the regular season don't tend to matter quite as much in the postseason. Kimbrell's been real rough. It's been awkward. And he can get funky with his mechanics things can get out of whack and that four seamer doesn't have quite the ride that it had when the mechanics are perfect that curveball is not quite as controllable as it was mechanics are perfect we have seen him get broken from time to time whether it was years and years of usage and then overuse towards the end of his red Sox run when he ended up not being the closer 
in their World Series run or whether it was when he got here to the Cubs and uh, signed late in 2019 and he was clearly not himself then, clearly not himself at the beginning of 2020, figured it out after that. And it was mechanics as well as mindset. But maybe mindset begets mechanical issues for Craig Kimbrell. Are we not learning that in our years of covering him on both sides of town? And he got fixed and then sent over to the Sox and no longer the closer. You know, all those things that were said by Kimbrell about how he was fine and knew what he had to do and it's okay and yada, yada. You can tell it has messed with him a little bit. Well, and I think, too, your, your quote from Billy Bean about, you know, once we get to the playoffs, it's all about luck. I think that's what you can look with with Kimbrell. I mean, Kimbrell was lights out, the best closer this year in the National League, and now he comes over. I mean, that's not Rick Hahn's fault. Rick Hahn tried to put this team in a position to win a World Series. Yes, uh, he did. Um, and, and he's loaded up that roster, and we'll see exactly how it gets utilized. But, I mean – Imagine being Tony and you've got to choose between Kimbrell and Kopech if your starter goes seven. And I hope he will push the starter to go seven. So we might only have to choose between Kimbrell and Kopech. There's, there's a one-game example. Imagine that scenario where Lance Lynn is rolling and it's the sixth inning. It's the end of the sixth. Push Lance Lynn into the seventh. Push him. Instead of going for three different guys in three different innings and hoping that all three of them have it. Just because it worked for Ned Yost doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Yeah, I don't I, want I, I don't want to cut I, into I, Bob's I, time, but like I, I think even in that situation, like you either have a guy that has three hundred plus saves in his career or like the best rookie pitcher in the, in the major leagues. Like it's a tough decision, but it's also like you have so much talent to pick from. I it's like Tony, you're a Hall of Famer, you gotta make the right choice. Well, yeah, but uh, it's entirely possible that the right choice is going to be the rookie and, 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 and Kimbrell's going to be there and you're worried. Obviously, Tony's worried about the messages that he sends. He brought that up this past week when he said it was a win that he didn't enjoy because he sent the wrong message to Craig Kimbrell by going out there and pulling him. So Tony's worried about that. Imagine in the playoffs having to choose Kopech over Kimbrel, because right now that's a no-brainer to me. Let's talk to the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, Bob Kendrick, next. And there's one local player that I'm going to bring up uh, as well during the conversation. I can uh, guess that you know who that's going to be. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. The importance of wearing the jerseys today is that it's my way of saying that I see you. It's our way of saying thank you to those that came before us. And also to the family members that are still here that are carrying on the legacies and the traditions of these fine men. It's our way of our city saying, we see you, we appreciate you, we love you for what you've done and what you provided. But putting on the uniform, like we're putting on legacy, we're putting on Pittsburgh. We're putting on a whole community, like just for one day that we can celebrate and say, we appreciate you, we see you, we love you. That was 
Pittsburgh Pirates first base coach Tariq Brock talking about getting to wear the uniform of the Homestead Grays on Friday. Those uniforms were gorgeous. Events like that are designed to instigate attention and conversation. And here at Hit and Run on a Sunday morning on The Score, we will do our part, shine a light, a much-deserved light, on the Negro Leagues with the help of our next guest. Bob Kendrick is the president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City. I've heard you on the station many a time with Lawrence Holmes and others, and I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. Bob, thank you so much for coming on Hit and Run on a Sunday morning. How are you? Matt, I'm good, man. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So that's Earl Hines I'm playing on the way in, jazz pianist from Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh, the Hill District in Pittsburgh, a jazz haven, baseball and jazz, American contributions to the culture. That's right there at the top of what we've done as a culture, don't you think, by the way? Oh, oh, there's no question. And, of course, in Kansas City, we are in a – complex that houses both the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and the American Jazz Museum, forming one of the most unique cultural attractions anywhere in the country that combines those two elements that you just referenced, baseball and jazz. And, man, they went hand in hand. You you would go to those Negro League games and you would see all the legendary jazz stars hanging out there watching those games. And then at night, the ball players would go do their thing and go watch them in the nightclub, and it was it created a mutual admiration between both. And of course, back then, Matt, you have to understand that they were traveling what we call the old Chitlin circuit. So yes. they were mapping out safe haven routes in which they would all kind of have a place to stay, place to eat. But it created this close knit relationship. You know, when you walk through the Negro Leagues Museum, you'll see pictures of Cab Calloway, who had his own semi-pro black baseball team. Louis Armstrong had his own semi-pro black baseball team. There's images of Lena Horne throwing out the first pitch at an all-star game. The great Lionel Hampton was a devout Kansas City Monarch fan, so much so that my friend, the late great Buck O'Neill, Matt, would put him in a Monarch uniform and Hamp would sit on the bench and serve as an honorary coach. <laughs> See, that's amazing. This is why this is why I wanted to start there. That's beautiful. I I haven't been to the museum yet, Bob. It's a travesty of my life. I I pledged to get there before next season. Just earlier this year, we had uh, Levante Stewart on the show, and he and his yeah. organization, the Lost Boys, made it there. In late July, I'm proud to have been just a little part of helping them get there. 35000 in donations they got from Chicagoans helped them get there. Um, those, how, how frequent are those kind of things where, like, where organizations from, from towns like Chicago are bringing kids there to give them a chance to see everything that you have going on at the museum? Yeah, before the pandemic, we saw those things happen a lot more frequently. You know, I think about Chicago and I think about our friend Tim Anderson, and his wife and their foundation, who did the exact same thing with kids from his foundation, put them on an airplane, flew them to Kansas City. They had Kansas City barbecue. They got a chance to tour the museum. They went out to Kauffman Stadium to watch the game, and they flew back home. And, and that's an experience that those young people will embrace and remember for a lifetime. And, and so we love it when these kinds of things take place because when we look at the Negro Leagues, Yeah, we're there to preserve a precious piece of baseball and Americana, a piece of history that not a lot of even baseball fans know much about. 
but the life lessons that stem from the Negro Leagues are just as important, and that's how we create relevancy. That's how we connect future generations to something that happened 60-plus years ago when we talk about the end of the Negro Leagues. And so these kinds of field trips, and these are great field trips, those are so important, and we look forward to them. We always welcome those young people when they come in, and the parents and all the guardians who make it possible for them to happen. What does it mean, Bob, to have a guy like Tim Anderson, who is such an amazing presence in this town, to have him have such a high profile in baseball? The Field of Dreams game was a big, uh, a big boost to Tim. I, I, saw, I saw football players, um, Bob, celebrating in preseason with the same hand movements that Tim had celebrated with with his walk-off home run in Iowa. So when it crosses over into football, you know something's going on. But seriously, T- Tim is, is such a high profile that's got to be a, a good thing to have somebody who's such a champion for the museum and the memories of the Negro Leagues in that way. Oh, of course it is. And I'll never forget when Daryl Boston brought Tim to the museum for the first time. And uh, it struck him, just as it does every athlete, but particularly black and brown athletes when they walk into that museum. Because, quite frankly, if you have any sense of self, you feel that when you walk through the Negro League Baseball Museum, and that was never lost on Tim. The, the, his initial trip struck him in such a way that he wanted to share that with other people. And uh, that's special. He and his wife are two very special individuals. And I'm so thrilled that they are friends of our institution, but that he has embraced his place in the game. He understands his legacy in this game, that those roots are deeply entrenched at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And now he's trying to pass that on to others, and really that's what it's all about. Talking to Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum there in Kansas City. So it's so cool to see the Homestead Grays uniforms and to hear players and coaches and the manager Derek Shelton talking about the honor that it was um, to wear them and they're gorgeous too they're absolutely gorgeous some of those uniforms available on the shop uh, at the shop on the Negro Leagues Museum website right Bob there's some stuff there I know yeah 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 some some of the team jerseys we carry in our shop and and, and let me say kudos to Derek Shelton because even during the pandemic, in the midst of the pandemic last year, when most Major League teams could not come out to visit the Negro League Baseball Museum, we made arrangements because he wanted his team to experience the Negro League Baseball Museum and because of the deep roots of black baseball there in Pittsburgh. And then, as fate would have it, the Pirates were back in town again this season. And who calls me? Derek Shelton. He wanted to bring the team back to the Negro League Baseball Museum and so when you hear him or see him post these pictures of him in those uniforms, this is not just some token rhetoric. It is real and very genuine for him. He came when he was with Tampa, and he's continued to come as interleague play has brought his club to Kansas City. He wanted his players to be immersed in that environment, and not just the black players, all of his players. Because the thing that we talk about, man, most, most oftentimes with the young major league athletes, when they come to visit the Negro League Baseball Museum. And this never gets old for me. I welcome it. I look forward to it. But as I share with them, the one bond that they share with the Negro League is just simply love of the game. You play this game because you love it. 
But as I also share with them, you will never see a greater example of love of the game than you do when you walk through the Negro League Baseball Museum. As you well know, they had to love it in order to endure the things that they had to endure just to play baseball in this country. Mm. And mm. to a person, it's not lost on them. It is perspective building for them. I think it makes them appreciate what they have even more. And as the, uh, the wonderful audio that you shared for the lead-in of this segment, it's an opportunity to say thank you, to say thank you for those who paved the way those who helped make our game the great game that it is today. Mm. Bob, what, was, what were the contracts like? I mean, for some of the great players with Josh Gibson and Satchel Paige and, and Cool Papa Bell. And, you know, I wonder, did, did the contracts grow as the leagues, as the leagues grew between 1920 and 1948? Did the stars yeah. end up getting paid so much more than the rank and file, which of course ends up being the case in all <laughs> professional sports? Did it develop that way too? Yep. yep. No different in the Negro League. Uh, you know, there's always been a hierarchy in, in every sport. Yep. And, and so the average, the average Negro League got, you know, a decent salary. The superstar Negro League demanded more money. And uh, the players that you mentioned, the Josh Gibsons, the Satchel Pages, the Cool Papa Bells of the world, they could make a great living playing this game. But more times than not, they'd have to play it year-round. So they would go to Latin America, where, honestly, in Latin America, they could make even more money. And, of course, Satchel, you know, was a legendary barnstormer. And so Satchel was pitching almost any and everywhere, and people wanted to see the old man pitch, and they were willing, and he's getting a percentage of the gate on those trips because the entire towns were shut down to watch him do his thing. And so, but it varied from era to era, and again, the star players could demand more money. Hey, hey, Bob, um, I, I've talked to Jerry Harrison Jr. a few times, and I love that family's history with Sam, a Negro League player, and a very brief White Sox uh, player. Um, and then, you know, so many Harrisons, I think four of them got to the big leagues. What others am I missing that, that maybe you know of? Descendants of Negro League players that have made it to MLB? Are there more that I'm not aware of? Yeah, no, there, there are a few other families of this game. You know, the Bankhead family, for one. Dan Bankhead was the answer to it, well, is the answer to a great trivia question. Who was the first black pitcher in the major league? Most assume it was Satchel, but it was actually Dan Bankhead. And the Bankhead brothers uh, were prolific in the Negro League, but only Dan got an opportunity to make it to the major leagues and his major league career didn't end up the way I think uh, any of us would have liked it to because he was a pitcher, and he came from Alabama. And, and Dan Bankhead had electric stuff. And the late great Buck O'Neill always surmised that when Bankhead gets to the major leagues, being a kid from small town Alabama, he was afraid of what might happen if he hit a white batter. And so he could never harness his control when mm. he got to the major leagues. Uh-huh, and so his major league career wasn't as significant as I think it could have been. Uh, because, again, you know, for him to be the first, uh, the first black pitcher, that tells you that his stuff was outstanding. And then Satchel would come over in 1948. Um, you know, so the great families of the Negro League, generationally, 
they just didn't get an opportunity really because um, there were, you know, the Radcliffe brothers there. <laughs> and I know there's another family that is escaping me uh, and it'll come to me because his, his father, oh, Bostock, Lyman Bostock and Lyman Bostock Jr. Ah. And Lyman Bostock Sr. played in the Negro League. Junior went on to the Major League and, of course, was tragically killed uh, yeah. before, you know, before his career. And he was, he was on track to have a wonderful career in Major League Baseball. And, of course, he was tragically murdered. And, and so, so, yeah, there are some instances or other instances alongside the Harrison family. But the Harrison family is a major family affair as we look at several generations. Mm-hmm to play professional baseball. I remember Lyman Bostock well with Minnesota and with California in the in the 70s. Uh-huh. Terrific young player. Um, all right, so, yep. Bob, th- there was a, uh, a display there in Pittsburgh under the bleachers for fans to see with pictures, jerseys, and a Negro Leagues contract. I don't, do you and the museum help teams with that? That's, that's a wonderful thing that, um, th- that, that, that teams get a chance to do when they have an event like this. Yeah, no, we have we have several national traveling exhibitions. I believe the Heinz Center likely worked with the, the club on this particular display because there mm-hmm. are some significant pieces as it relates to, to Pittsburgh black baseball that is there. And I know the Heinz Center and a few other places there in the Pittsburgh area have some pieces that specifically look back at Pittsburgh's rich black baseball history. But, you know, we're continuing to build traveling exhibitions. We have six national traveling exhibitions right now, and we're building number seven as we speak. Number Mm -hmm. seven will be called Barrier Breakers, and the Barrier Breaker exhibit chronicles all of the players who broke their respective Major League teams' color barriers from Jackie Robinson in 1947 joining Brooklyn through 12 years later when Elijah Pumsey Green would complete the integration cycle with the Boston Red Sox, who were the last team to integrate. And we chronicle all of them because, as you well know, as so typical in our society, we always celebrate the first. We rarely ever celebrate the second. And if you're number 16, you can pretty much forget it. So these (laughs) players became footnotes in baseball history, and they deserve to be more than that. And so this new exhibit will chronicle their story because it didn't get any easier for Elijah Ponce Green in 1959 with Boston than it did for Jackie Robinson when he walked out on that field with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947. They all had their trials and tribulations as they were trying to blaze a path to pursue their major league careers. Bob, last thing for you, and really appreciate the time. What has it meant this year for the museum and for your work to have Major League Baseball recognize the stats between 1920 and 1948, and you can see them on Baseball Reference uh, now integrated properly with all the other data. What has that meant to the museum? Oh, it was tremendous. It was a tremendous day of pride and honor. And for me, to be honest, Matt, it's not even as much about the stats for me as it is for the recognition, the awareness, and maybe even the atonement for the egregious decision not to recognize the Negro Leagues years ago, a league that we already knew was as major as any league. And so the fact that that acknowledgement took place, along with the integration of the stats into the annals of Major League Baseball history, because for those who really do need the numbers to help quantify how great these players were, Okay, now we will satisfy that person. 
But, you know, for us involved on the inside of Negro Leagues, we already knew that the Negro Leagues were major. But to have this formal recognition meant a great deal to the surviving players and to the families of those who have long been gone because it is an a testament to what they were able to accomplish both on and off the field. And it has also heightened the engagement around the Negro Leagues and in particular the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And so I had to tip my cap to Commissioner Manfred and all of those who were involved with making this decision. And, and, you know, there were some critical of the decision to do so. But what I remind them is that there were other commissioners that could have done this that didn't do it. And he had the moxie to do it. Whether or not he was going to be criticized for it or not, he did what was absolutely the right thing to do. Anytime you get an opportunity to right a wrong, we should do it. And Commissioner Manfred did that. Bob Kendrick, what a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. I, I pledge to get to the museum. It's a travesty that I have not been there. I will get there before <laughs> uh, next season. And, uh, and, and thank you so much for your passion and, uh, and your love of the game specifically because it, uh, it always resonates with our listeners, that's for sure. Oh, man, man, it's a pleasure. Thanks so, guys. Thanks so much, guys, for reaching out. And it's good to connect. And I do look forward to seeing you in Kansas City sometime in the near future. Yeah, I'll hit the Jazz Museum uh, as well so we can uh, talk about those uh, intersecting paths again. Thank you so much, Bob. That's Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. It's hit and run right here on 670 The Score. Doug Glanville next hour on what it's like to be traded on uh, passing the eye test and or the stats test for a team as it enters the postseason as well. But coming up, I made a 26-man roster, an all-city team using both the Cubs and the Sox. How many members of the Cubs do you suspect made a 26-man roster putting together both squads? We will discuss next on Hit and Run on the Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.